Hello everyone and welcome to the 10th episode of the Connectivity Podcast. I'm Matthias Fridström and I've spent the last 25 years inside the Connectivity community. In this pod, we invite guests to deep dive into one or many subjects to simply learn more about connectivity. And in this 10th episode, I'm extremely happy to welcome David Jacobi back from Kaspersky Lab and we will continue the discussion that we left a couple of weeks ago. the cyber threats and the attacks. What's the trend there right now? Where is it popular to attack these days? This is a topic that I I shouldn't say I get angry when I get it because a lot of people ask me, so David, what kind of threats do you think you will see in the future? Hmm? And for me, and I guess most people who've been in the industry for a long time, you've been in the industry as well, not just specifically the security industry, but in the industry itself, um, I think that we will see the same kind of stuff in the future as we see today. Because the techniques and the methods of hackers has not really changed that much in at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one example. That's the reuse of passwords. Mm-hmm. That is by far the one of the most common attacks out there. That you hack one account and, and, and that username and password can lead to some somewhere else. That's actually more of a risk today than it was 20 years ago because you have more, you, your account exists on more websites today and we made something really stupid and I don't know why we did that, maybe because of ease of use, but that's when we basically have the same username everywhere. It's just the password that changed. So in the beginning of the internet, you created a username and a password, right? And your username was free of your choice and the password was free of your choice. Now, your username is, most cases, your email address. Yep. Which means that you don't have the, you don't have different email addresses for every single site. Of course, there are some uh, paranoid people out there who, who have that. But in general, you have one email address and you use that everywhere. Which means that if you can find one email address and you can find the password to that email address because you hack one website, that will allow you to log into anything, right? And, you know, when it comes to other hacking trends, it's like buffer overflows, um, social engineering, phishing emails. Phishing is just another way of saying social engineering. It's just a way of tricking people to click on the link or download something. It's just, it's the same thing as we've seen before. Before it wasn't really an email, but maybe it was a phone call. So, I mean, the psychology behind it is the same. Yeah, um, It's just a way of getting your message out there. If it's a Facebook message or a Twitter message or uh, an email or whatever, it's the same kind of message, right? It really feels like, you know, we've heard this now the last couple of years. And, and I was thinking, you know, are people learning? What's the view there? Are people really learning or do people still click on these links? Because I think, you know, you've been fed so many times, you know, be aware, you know, don't click on anything you're not sure about. But I guess that's still the same, you know, people still click on them out of curiosity. Yeah, but I also think that, I mean, there's a lot of psychology behind it. People click on it because they look so authentic. These messages that you get is basically customized for you as the receiver. If you are Swedish, you'll get a message in Swedish. If you're a male or female, or if you're in this age group, or you know, if you're interested in these things, because they're they're doing OSINT, open source intelligence data, to know what will most likely to trigger you. 
So if you get a message on LinkedIn, they can, you know, say, oh, I'm a friend of this contact. And um, he or she asked me to contact you. And with that, you suddenly just, you have a message with so much trust. But even that it's fully automatic because I can see your connections on LinkedIn. I can see who you're friends with. So that entire process is fully automated. If I'm a robot, I can just say, oh, you're connected to these 200 people. I'll just take one of these 200 people. Or I can see in your history or your activity log, basically. I can see who you, if you commented or if you like something for another person, I can take that name and, and use that in, in my phishing email saying, hey, I, um, you know, I'm a friend of so-and-so and that person asked me to contact you. Please look at this link or this attachment. So the trust is just so much higher now when we have social media mm. because they can really customize the message to you. But if we should look a little bit into the future, there, there is a few things that's changed that is a little bit scary. And that's, for example, supply chain attacks, which is quite, you know, the method itself and the, the technology itself is not really new. It's very easy to understand. But it's the entire concept of breaking the security chain uh, higher up than just, you know, on the device itself. So, I mean, if you're buying a computer or if you're up uh, downloading a new security patch, that patch itself or that physical device can be compromised. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're, even if you're, you're buying a new phone or a new computer or a new a firewall or a router or a web camera or phone system or whatever it is, you don't know if the hardware itself has been modified to contain some kind of backdoor. And what about software updates? I mean, we in the industry, we're telling everybody, you need to have the latest updates in your machine because, you know, that's just the way it is. So we're, we have this mindset to always patch and always install this latest security updates. But how do we know that the security updates we get is not backdoored? Mm. Wow. And how do we? <laughs> is there a way? We don't. No, we don't. Yeah, we, yeah, we can use, you know, antivirus software and, and you know, um, integrity checkers and stuff like that. But it's in, to give you a, a good answer, no, we, we don't really know that. Wow. Yeah, that's another part of, or, and sort of the, the old ways of, of breaking security was physical Uh, that stuff, you know, is that still going on? Are there still kind of physical attacks on networks and devices and and that stuff? Or or is everything online these days? No, there's, of course, physical attacks. And I think you will know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Uh, I'm just saying USB sticks, for example. Yeah. There's a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot of attacks, but there's a lot of documented attacks where you can create this USB stick that will automatically install some kind of backdoor as soon as you put it into the computer. Um, Mm. Because as you know, you know, remember back in the day when you had a CD and you put the CD into the, in the computer, uh, that CD, if it has like this auto start function, the installation software might start directly and, and so on. Same kind of technique you can use when it comes to USB stick. You can, you can tell the computer that this USB stick is, Maybe a keyboard, you can tell it to be a, a CD drive, or it can be contain some kind of installation software, auto start. But auto start is now being you know removed from a lot of systems. So when you put the USB drive in the computer, then you have to open the file explorer yourself and, and go to that device. Nothing really happens when you put the device in there. But there's a there's a lot of attacks, physical attacks as well, um, mm-hmm. for sure. 
Wow. These old days with spies around everywhere, you know, <laughs> is that sort of the, the spying industry as well? Is that something you guys look into, you know, who's looking into whose networks and so on? I guess that's still big, you know, we see even discussions around states doing that. Yeah, I would I would like to separate, you know, spying from state-sponsored attacks because not all state-sponsored attacks is about spying. But of course, I mean, we, we know for a fact that governments are attacking other governments when it comes to, let's say, let's call them digital weapons. Yeah, That's a fact. We, we saw in the leak from Snowden, for example, about how the U.S., had exploits and tools and stuff for collecting data and infiltrating systems and so on. And that's not unique for the US. I guess that's happening with all major governments out there. So yes, it's absolutely happening. We've seen it. We identify these different attacks and we make them public. But I don't know. What would you say? This is a, Let's just have a wild discussion here. Let's imagine that the Third World War already exists. Okay? We have countries fighting each other, attacking each other, basically. But they're doing it over the internet instead of, you know, with guns and bombs and stuff like that. Is that a good thing? Yeah, no, no, I fully understand what you mean, you know, and, and obviously we see enormous amounts of traffic going in the networks and, and I, I'm sure it can be used for whatever reason. So you're right. That's a scary future if you think it like that. Yeah, I mean, we can be uh, a little bit, we can talk a little bit about science fiction, but what about creating weapons, digital weapons, I mean, that automatically, you know, attack systems and, you know, what about Terminator? Not that we have physical robots walking on the streets, but what about drones or stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, I think the the evolution is, is a little bit scary when it comes to the stuff that that we can do and how fragile the entire society is when it comes to digital threats. Yeah. Is it possible to shut down a hospital with ransomware, for example? Is it possible to turn off electricity in, in some parts of a country with a DDoS attack? Yeah. It's a scary thought that it can either be an accident or it can be, you know, a targeted attack. Yeah. And I think that's that's a good lead into the next part I'm, I'm, I want to talk to you about. I, I know you're involved in a Swedish project called the Digitala Varningskollen, which in English would mean the digital warning control in some way. Uh, what is that? So it's basically a cooperation between some of the largest companies in Sweden. That's not just a large company, but also has a large digital footprint that is actually a victim for different kind of threats. It can be the financial sector, it can be e-commerce sites, it can be critical infrastructure, it can be anything that in somehow, um, I shouldn't say has a responsibility, but somehow will have a big impact on, on, this, on the society. And this warning group is a way to distribute warnings to everybody in Sweden. Normal people who should be extra careful because there's an ongoing phishing attack or um, security managers for maybe the electricity industry or let's say uh, the postal office or you know anything whatever kind of digital threats that that we see we want to make people aware of that and we want to make it as a group not a specific company because it's not about pr if you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of warnings out there that is to say has a little bit of marketing and pr in them mm-hmm. This is not about that. This is to actually make a difference, to warn 
Swedish citizens and Swedish companies that something is ongoing, and we are doing that together. Because you know, I mean, Kaspersky has some data. This, the police has some data, and all these private companies they have some data. And what if we could collect that data and make this one one platform, um, you know, available to to everybody? And where are you in that project? Sounds great. Is is it done? Is it working, or is it just in the startup phase? Or where are you? It, it is absolutely in the startup phase um, right now because we don't really know, for example, how to distribute all the warnings. Should we have a mobile app? Should we have a email list, uh, RSS feed, what, how should we do that? Mm. But I mean, I, I sent out the warning yesterday uh, about a, a scamming campaign that targets something called Blocket, which is a Swedish version of eBay. So it, it, it's a small scam, but it's still something, right? Yeah. And you know, we, we, we post it on this website and then we distribute that on our social platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and so on. But it, it is absolutely in the startup phase. But I think it's a very good initiative and I, I support it very highly. Yeah. Are you aware of similar things in other countries? Or are we a bit unique here? No, I, I know that there's a similar project in Denmark mm. that was actually before this project. I think the people who came up with this idea actually got influenced by the Danish uh, way of handling this. I think they they actually have a mobile app and they work in, in a very similar way. And I, I hope that every country, and so whoever that's listening to this pod, mm-hmm. uh, if you're from any kind of country, try to get, get in contact with your local cert or there might be some kind of uh, police organization or, or something and see if you can create this kind of um, corporation with the largest companies in your country. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. I actually know we, because I talked to the Danish people a couple of weeks ago because they're interested in working with us as well, involving us. Obviously, because we have loads of traffic in our network and so on. I think that's a good thing, you know. Another thing I know, you're a frequent speaker at various events around the world. What are people asking you to speak about? What do they want to know from you? I'm I'm super curious. I have thousands of questions for you. But what what is it the typical topic that that they ask you to speak about? Uh, Trends is, of course, something that's very interesting. But usually, they don't really ask me for a topic. They ask me as a speaker, say, hey... We want to have you as a speaker at this event. What have you been researching right now? Because, I mean, my job is to research IT security. And, and whatever kind of research I've done, it can be like now. I, I've been researching, for example, fitness apps. Can they be used for good, for bad? What about if you can track someone? Uh, let's say that you're, uh, this is an ugly topic, but let's say that you're a rapist. And you can see that some an individual is running the same kind of of, of uh, taking like a morning run or an evening run every second day at the same place. That's that kind of behavior is tracked in in these fitness apps, and you can you know find that person in if, if you want to. You know exactly where they are, um, and you can predict that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. So that's something I've been looking into. But I mean, my background is as I said, doing penetration testing. So I often talk about different kind of tests that I've done. I'm not a very theoretical person in my presentation. I always talk about things that I've done myself or experienced myself. So I can talk about how I hacked something. My IoT presentation is very popular. It's called How I Hacked My Home, where I basically found vulnerabilities in, in every single device that I had in my home. And I was able to hack my home without being connected to my local area network, basically. So they did it fully remotely. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very popular one. But also like the psychology behind computer security. Why why are we 
failing when we have millions of dollars in budget? Why are we why are we actually failing? Why do we still talk about simple things as passwords or patch management or uh, you know phishing emails? Why is that still a problem? That's something I, that I talk a lot about, and also you know social engineering and and trying to give the audience a good understanding about computer security and what actually makes a difference. Because I can start talking about you know packet filtering. And, you know, talking about TCP and UDP and ports and, you know, uh, IP headers and so on, how to bypass stuff. And that's way too technical. That's, that's a presentation that nerds would, would enjoy. But if you really want to make a difference, you have to somehow talk to the broader audience. And I think that's something that I, that I often talk about. I talk about computer security in a very basic way, but I always give some kind of suggestion on how to fix things or how to think differently. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super, that's really interesting. And spinning on this, you know, I know on a personal side, you're a father of two kids, you know. <laughs> what do you talk to them about? It must be the most scary thing in the world when I think about my two sons and how much they could screw up. Oh, man. You know so much more than everyone about what can go wrong. How do you guide them? I don't know. That is, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I talk to them and I try to make them understand I simple stuff as passwords and what they should do, what they shouldn't do. But it's what we talk about is not just what they should do online, but how much they should be online, how the entire industry with this social media giants, how they force people to, uh, to be online and how they use psychology to make you like stuff or, or spend time using the app. And that is something that, I talk to my kids about more about ethics than actual technology. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I my daughter is eleven and my son is seven, and my daughter is, is starting to go online with social media like TikTok and YouTube and those things. And it's so difficult because it's the way that kids communicate today. They don't communicate in the same way as we do, and get it, having that fine line of that's too much screen time or that's just not an healthy behavior to saying you shouldn't do that you know you that's way too much is that line that it's so difficult because i want them to be online i want them to learn these things but i want to control them and i want to protect them against all this crap that's out there and it's so difficult because she will come home and suddenly they have a new app that they communicate with it's not snapchat anymore then it's tiktok and if it's not tiktok it's whatever kind of whatever app you know it's so crazy and the way they have their digital presence is just so different from someone like me who are not even brought up with internet i didn't have internet as a kid it didn't exist it's something that i got during my lifetime but i wasn't brought up with internet and it's just different Mm -hmm. It's actually the most scary thing right now for me. I don't care about APT attacks, governments infecting, whatever. We have an entire generation who are not handling this correctly. That is scary. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the world will look at look in 10 years or 15 years because mm. we are kind of failing this right now. I, that, that's that's my opinion. Yeah, and uh, it's not the kids' fault. It's absolute. It's it's the parents' fault, for sure. Because we are just as addicted as the kids are. Mm. It's just that we have so many excuses why we should be able to use our phone or our devices. 
Mm. Oh, I, I just need to check my work email. Or I just need to answer this. Or I just need to do this. They have the same excuses, but it's just, oh, I need to see if my friend pinged me on this app. Or I need to, it's the same kind of excuses. But for adults, it's, it's okay, but it's not okay for the kids. And yeah. we're so busy with our digital life that we some, somehow forget our kids' life. And it's so much easier to just let them sit there and play Minecraft or Fortnite and do social media stuff. Because it's quiet in the house. You don't have to bother. I mean, it's a really big problem. We, we have, in my house, I mean, I'm a single parent. So I have the kids every second week. During my weeks, it's screen time. And we are forced to do something together every single day. And it's up to the kids to decide what we should do. Because I do not like the social media stuff. They're, they're wasting their time looking at cool stuff that other people are doing instead of doing those things themselves. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, really good view there. But how, how do you view this, you know, this generation? You know, how should we fix this? You know, do we need more classes in school around this? Or how do we raise their awareness of all this, you know? Because it seems like they're totally unaware of that they leave marks everywhere on the internet, wherever yeah, they do. I, that may haunt them. Yeah, I don't see that as a problem. It's that they're by being so-called monitored by these apps. That is not the problem. It's, I mean, as long as they're not posting pictures that no one should see, or, or they're you know saying stuff that's mean to other people, it's like being. You still need to teach them what's right and what what's wrong. Like back to this ethics. Like if you if you call someone fat in a chat message, or you do it. In, in real life, it's the same thing. It's your, your, your voice. I mean, yeah. that's, oh, that's good. that is one thing that we really need to teach our children. Like, do not act stupid when you're online. Do not call people bad names or anything like that. Because it's the same thing. It's the same thing if you do it on, uh, you know, in, in, in the real world as to do it in, in the digital world. Yeah. But I think it's, it's more about the way we use social media. It's, I mean, the, a lot of, of their imagination is getting destroyed. I mean, I can see it so clearly with my kids because there, there are, of course, very good things with technology. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of stuff we can learn. And I think a lot of people have that excuse like, oh, my kid learned English because they were looking at YouTube. Yeah, that's brilliant that they did that. But they also lost a lot of other things like their imagination, for example. That, that's how I see it. We need to divide the time we spend online and the time we, we spend you know, in the real world. I think it's, it's unhealthy how much time we spend online. What I've told my kids, for example, is that you're free to use the computer or your phone or anything as long as you're doing something creative with that. If you want to learn programming or if you want to just, let's say that you just want to draw a picture they can go to Google Images and look for, like my son is totally into Pokemon. If, if, you, if he wants to go to and find a picture of, of a Pokemon and then draw it by hand on a piece of paper, but he want to look at the Pokemon uh, online, fine, no problem. Or if like my daughter, she is really into horse riding. So if she wants to go online and look for some information about horses, no problem, you can do that. But when they spend two, three, four hours doing absolutely nothing, uh, looking at Snapchats or YouTube or Instagram, then that's not okay. 
use it as a tool. And I'm completely okay with that. Yeah. I think that's a really good advice. I think that's a really good advice for most people, really. So I think we're running out of uh, of time here. I think we need to wrap up. But I think, you know, if you and I would have this conversation in five years, what what would we have talked about, you know? Would we have talked about the same stuff or are there any... I know you talked about it's almost impossible to view trends and, and see what's, <laughs> what's in the future, but is there one thing you, you think would be big in five years? No, I think there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about in the future. It's just when it comes to computer security, we are seeing the same. I mean, we'll see the same things in the future as we will see today because we haven't really fixed the problems that that mm. we already have. Mm. But when it comes to technology, I mean, we will, I hopefully we will talk about maybe how the medical industry has become better when it comes to you know nano robots or mm. um, what about virtual environments and this. Um, Augmentation, that's something that I think is really cool where you can, let's say, the, you know, uh, IKEA, uh, for example, if, if I'm buying a new kitchen or I want to buy a furniture and I can just, you know, through whatever kind of Google glasses, I can look into my room and I can see exactly what kind of stuff I want to have or the fashion in industry. Or, you know, if I want to get a haircut, I can, I can use augmentation for something good. And mm. that also maybe affects the, um, the building and augmentation is something that I, re- I think is really cool that like we can use we can add another layer a digital layer upon the real world yeah okay <laughs> that ended it really well and on a positive note there is a future here and, and hopefully bright as well so oh for sure so with that i would like to thank you very much david for for joining me in this podcast thank you very much thank you for having me Thanks everyone for listening. We will soon be back with a new guest. So please follow us on Twitter, ConnectivityPod, for updates. Stay tuned until next time.